Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. To see all of you. Hey, I know this is different, uh, but thanks for being here. Uh, you know, when it comes to our worshiping habits, we really long for that which is familiar. We want to return back to normal as quickly as possible. But I think this is a, just a really good time to remind ourselves that the center of the Christian life, the center of the church, is not found in our programs or even in what we do on Sunday mornings, but rather in our connection to one another and in the lives that we live for the benefit of the world. Now, it's always been a historic practice of the people of God, the church, to gather together on a regular basis, but not for the purpose of entertainment or anything else other than to be taught, to be encouraged, to encourage one another, all for the purpose of then going out to be a blessing to the world and proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God. And what a great opportunity that we have to do just that. And so while this is different and it might feel a little awkward and we're all wearing masks, it's, it's different, but let's embrace it for what it is. Recognize that we're helping to keep each other healthy and safe for the benefit of then going out and being a blessing to other people. Uh, so just a quick reminder of what, we, uh, what church is about and why we're gathering. You know, if you're anything like me, uh, the last four months have been emotionally, physically, even spiritually exhausting. Global pandemic, racial tension, political division, it has all taken its toll, hasn't it? And all of this is on top of any personal crises or challenges that we might be facing. And so it's fair to say that so much has been lost. Uh, even, and we've tried to do this a lot in our family, is kind of look at the other side of the coin and see all the things that have been gained during this time as well. And we've tried to recognize that even in the midst of the loss, so much has been gained as well. But I think it's fair to say that one of the best words for what many of us are going through and walking through right now is suffering, right? Uh, that we have suffered. And when suffering hits, it's natural to start asking questions. Uh, for most people, regardless of faith affiliation uh, or even system of belief, when, when we're suffering, we, talk, we start to ask questions about where is God and what is God doing and what is God up to? Uh, and, and these are important questions, right? Like, is, where is God? What is God doing? Is God in the clouds watching my suffering? Uh, and the suffering of humanity unfold with, with little care or concern? Uh, is God in the clouds kind of pulling the strings of our lives and causing our pain? Uh, these are really important questions. And, and one of the passages of scripture that is most often referenced uh, and, and that people turn to for answers is Romans 8.28. You probably even have it memorized, right? Uh, I'll, I'll read the whole passage in a bit. But in this famous passage, in this famous verse, the Apostle Paul declares, We know, in fact, that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, this important passage of Scripture uh, can help us in the midst of our suffering. Does, in fact, have a lot of truth to offer us. But we also need to understand this verse in its context. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at reflections from Romans chapter 8. Uh, and we're going to start with the crescendo in 828 and then kind of work our way backwards to the beginning of the chapter. And I've not ever done that. I'm a, I'm a very systematic, linear thinker. And so it's always like, let's start at the beginning and work our way toward the crescendo. 
but this series we're going to do a little differently. We're going to start at the end. Where does Paul, what's Paul's big crescendo in Romans chapter 8? And then let's go back and see how we got there. So I'm hopeful that this series uh, of teaching will connect us to some really important truths as we navigate these days together. So uh, let me pray for wisdom, and then I'll uh, read uh, our passage of Scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your grace in these days. We, we know and we recognize, and many of us have felt, God, the, the weight of the things that have been lost, the disappointments that we've experienced, uh, the things of our lives that we long to return back to normal. Uh, and so, God, we, we come to you with, with grieving and heavy hearts. And at the same time, God, so thankful for your grace in these days, the, the little gifts that we have received, uh, the, the good things that have come our way. And God, we pray now as we open up your word and as we turn to your word for answers uh, or perspective, God, we pray that you would offer us wisdom and guidance. Uh, Lord, uh, unveil the truths of this passage of scripture for us, that we might leave here today encouraged uh, and strengthened and empowered to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So, Lord, help us, not only this morning and in this time, but also, Lord, help us in these days as we depend on you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And I want to read from a version you've maybe not heard yet. Uh, it's called the New Testament for Everyone. Uh, and it says this. We know, in fact, that God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Those he foreknew, you see, he also marked out in advance to be shaped according to the model of the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn of a large family. And those he marked out in advance, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So where is God in the midst of our suffering? Well, let's begin just by looking at the life of Jesus, the, the, the life of God that is revealed to us in Jesus. Uh, we know from the life of Jesus that God is aware of and sympathetic toward our suffering. Uh, when Jesus' friend Lazarus, di Lazarus died, uh, Jesus wept at, as he grieved the death. Jesus also looked out over Jerusalem and saw those who had called Yahweh their God and were not living according to God's peace, and they were suffering because of it. And as Jesus looked over the city, he wept. These examples and others show us that God is, in fact, a God who weeps with us. But the story of the cross takes this even further and shows us that God suffers with us, that God is a co-suffering God, which is to say that God is not just weeping when we weep, but that God actually suffers with us when we suffer. That part of the beauty of the cross is that we see the solidarity of God made flesh in Jesus in solidarity with suffering humanity. Because for all of the things that we try to, to use to divide us and separate us and social classes and racial classes and all these things that we tend to use to divide us, there is one universal experience of the human life and that is to suffer. At some point, in some way, we all go through suffering. And the God of humanity, 
that God revealed to us in Christ says, not only do I weep with you when you weep, but I am a co-suffering God. Now, the beauty of Romans chapter 8 is that it gives us even more truth about the activity of God in the midst of our suffering. He weeps with us, he suffers with us, and then this passage shows us that God is mysteriously and beautifully at work in the midst of our suffering. God works all things together for good. Now, we have to be careful here, right? There is a temptation to hear this verse about God working all things together for good to mean that God causes all things. And as I hear people talk about this verse, even preachers preach about this verse, this is the number one kind of interpretive mistake that people make. That we assume that saying that God is sovereign means that God is the cause of everything that happens in the world, both good and bad. It's a, it's a theology that essentially says that sometimes God needs to use bad things in order to teach us a lesson or move history in a direction through certain atrocities. Uh, you'll know someone is operating from this theology or this mindset uh, whenever they use God to try to skirt personal responsibility. Uh, sometimes it says God's got this. Uh, whatever's whatever's going to happen is going to happen. When it's my time to go, it's my time to go. <laughs> Uh, these may seem like faith-filled statements on the surface, but are actually statements that are kind of free the believer from any personal volition, any personal responsibility, even partnership with God. Which I want to point out this morning is the exact opposite of what Romans 8.28 is trying to get across to us. And so Paul's point in 8.28 is not to say that God causes all things, but the, the beautiful truth that God is at work in the midst of all things. In fact, I love how the NIV puts it. It says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so this morning, as you find yourself perhaps exhausted, I want to invite us all, as the people of God, as the church, to rest in the confidence that God is at work even in the midst of pandemic, even in the midst of mysterious and odd and weird days when we find ourselves worshiping like we are this morning. That God is at work. When we find healing, whether it be emotional, physical, or spiritual, God is at work. When we see nurses and doctors making sacrifices to care for others, God is at work. When scientists are working diligently to learn more about the virus to help inform the public, God is at work. When organizational leaders are making difficult decisions to help keep everyone healthy, God is at work. When musicians create beautiful at-home mixes to provide a soundtrack for this season, God is at work. Not only have I loved the work of our own worship team and the at-home mixes that we've done, uh, but I can get lost in a pretty deep YouTube hole of these at-home mixes. Are you with me, right? It's like I love them and I can't get enough of them because it shows the resiliency and the beauty and the creativity of humanity to which I say, amen, God is at work. Because I need that soundtrack for my life as we walk through these days. When pastors speak about the hope of Christ the rest available in the divine and salvation. God is at work. 
God works in all things. Paul goes on to say in 829, those he foreknew, you see, he also marked out in advance to be shaped according to the model of the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn of a large family. You see, Paul, after, after giving us the great truth of 828, goes directly into the purpose of God's work, which he describes as being shaped into the model of the image of his son. And so throughout Romans, it's important to recognize that sonship is an important way of indicating partnership with God. Sonship is a way of indicating partnership with God. So Adam is called the son of God. Israel is called God's firstborn. And the king of Israel was known as the son of God. And so this sonship language points us to this truth. To be called the son of God was to be God's representative or co-ruler on the earth. Now, I encourage us not to get hung up on the gendered language and to recognize that this is a calling for all of humanity. So to be called a son or a daughter of God is, to, is meant to point us to a kind of partnership with God that we're being invited into. And so God is at work in the midst of, of the world, making all things new and then bringing about uh, newness in all of creation, but also clarifying God's image in us so that we can operate as God's representatives of new creation in the world. <laughs> right? It's like, what is God doing and what am I to be doing and what is God stirring up in me? Well, on a large scale, what God is doing is he's working to make all things new, but he's also seeking to restore his image in you so that you can embody new creation in the world. And now the beautiful thing is how that works out in each of our lives is different, right? We could go around the room and I would say, what is God doing in your life? And how is he speaking to you? How is God encouraging you in the midst of all of this? And we would have probably a lot of different answers. But in all of that, what God is doing is restoring the image of himself in you. Wow. That's a beautiful thing. This, by the way, is also why we can say that God is both all-powerful and all-loving. Because God is able to take the material of our lives, that is, all the things about our lives that are beautiful and good, and yet all the things that are a mess and a tragedy and the suffering, God is able to take the very material of our messy, kind of all-over-the-place lives and bring about something good and beautiful. And a God who is able to do that, I would say, is a God who is sovereign, a God who is all-powerful, and a God who is good. Amen? The amens are a little muffled in the room because of all the masks, but that's all right. <laughs> Which is to say, it leads to our own transformation and a world made right. This is the sovereignty of God. Uh, so the sovereignty of God is not God pulling strings and controlling everything. The sovereignty of God is him taking the very material of our lives, however messy it may be, and working something beautiful out of it. And I think this is some really helpful truth as we face a global pandemic. Now, if you're anything like me, you might be saying, I've heard this before. I know this. Pastor Andy talks about this regularly. You're right. But if you're anything like me, you need a reminder. You need a reminder when so much has been lost. 
and when we find ourselves exhausted. Now, Paul goes on to say in in, uh, verse 30 of chapter 8, he says, And those he marked out in advance, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so our passage this morning ends with what may seem, at least on the surface, to be a string of theological gobbledygook, right? (laughs) It's like, okay, called, justified, glorified. These are all like maybe fancy words. They all sound really encouraging, but do we really know what they mean? Um. The question essentially is, what does, any of all, what does any of these words have to do with our lives? What bearing do they have on our everyday life? And by the way, what does it mean to be glorified anyway? Glory in the scriptures when it refers to humanity does not mean radiance or shining. Now, when it refers to God, it will sometimes mean that. Uh, it, will, it will mean that um, this kind of radiance of God's glory. But when referred to humanity, it does not mean radiance or shining, uh, as though God's goal for us is, is to have shining faces in heaven. Uh, rather, glory, when it's applied to humanity in the scriptures, refers to an elevation in status or authority as God's co-rulers on the earth. Did you catch this? Glory in the scriptures refers not to a radiance, but rather an elevation in our status or our authority as God's co-rulers in the earth. And so listen to Psalm chapter 8. A couple examples here. First Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him, that is humanity, with glory and with honor. And then the very next verse, the psalmist says, you have given humanity dominion over the works of your hands that you have put under their feet. And so talking about being crowned with glory and then the very next verse is connected to our role in all of creation, that we've been given dominion over the work of God's hands and over creation. And then in the Genesis story, It talks about humanity being crowned with glory. And the glory of humanity was God's invitation to serve as stewards or as rulers over creation. In fact, Paul picks up on this very idea. Paul, in much of his theology, has Genesis kind of 1 through 3 in mind. And so he says in Romans 1.23, he says that humanity rejected the glory that God gave us and opted instead for a glory of our own. Which is to say that God gave us the glory as co-rulers. He gave us a status. He gave us an authority with him as co-rulers over creation. But in the fall, in our rebellion against God, we opted for our own glory. We traded in the glory that God gave us and tried to establish an authority or a status or a glory of our own making. And so he he uses this as a way of saying the ultimate plan then is that you're going to be called, you're going to be justified, that is you're going to be made right, and then you're going to be glorified. That same authority will be given back to you. And so being crowned with glory and honor is is connected with being given dominion over creation in order to steward well. Now, of course, this does have to do with creation care, like the actual care of the actual planet as the people of God. But it isn't just that, that ruling over creation is about bringing God's restorative justice to bear on the world, bring God's shalom to creation. 
And so the narrative arc of the story is that we all, that is collectively and individually, all of us and each of us have rejected God's glory. We've been given a glory. Then all of us and each of us have rejected that glory. And while this is tragic, God's work in the world is that in the midst of all things, he is working to try to call us to a new life in him, to justify us, that is to set us right, so that we might be glorified or returned back to that status or authority as God's co-rulers. <laughs> yes, right? This is good news. This should sound like good news because in fact it is. Okay, now Romans chapter 8, 28 from the Revised Standard Version says this. Can I tell you, can I pause here? Uh, preaching to y'all is a lot better than preaching to a camera. So uh, this is good. Uh, now, Romans 8, 28 from the Revised Standard Version. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Wow. You can see that the Greek is, is kind of... Trip, it, 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 you can get tripped up here because there's lots of different versions, lots of different interpretations. But if we take the NIV, the Revised Standard, and we, we start to kind of capture the fullness of what's happening here. We know that in the midst of all things, God works with those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, well, the good N.T. Wright says this. God has promised throughout Scripture to put the world right. In the present time, he puts people right by the gospel and the spirit so that they can be part of his putting right purpose for the world. <laughs> we know that God's purpose is to make the world right. And in the present time, he puts people right by the means of the gospel and the spirit so that they can be part of his putting right purpose for the world. So then, then he finishes by saying this. So justification and justice belong together. Amen and amen. Well, let me close with a, with a quote that I feel like just sums up all of this very well. And it's uh, from a pastor actually here in Colorado named Glenn Packiam. He says this, where is God? He is in the midst of all things, working with you for good. Where is God? He is in the midst of all things, working with you for the good. And that, church, is good news. And I hope, like a balm to our weary souls uh, on this Sunday. Let me say a word of prayer, and I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful truth that you are mysteriously and powerfully working all things for the good. And Lord, as much as we might be tempted to think and to believe that you are somehow causing atrocities, help us not to get caught so caught up in that, but Lord, would you remove the scales from our eyes so that we might see the ways in which you are working for the good. And then Lord, as transformed people, as a people of God. And for those maybe who are, who are watching or listening and, and aren't yet there and have not yet made a faith commitment, 
the beautiful truth of the gospel is that we receive new creation in us, that we ourselves become new creations so that we might then partner with you, God, as co-rulers to help bring about new creation. So God, help us to rest today in the reality that you are at work in the midst of all things. Even in the midst of loss, of disappointment, of illness, of plans made and then canceled, made again and canceled again. In the midst of this new world in which we live that is so unfamiliar to all of us. In the midst, Lord, of our longing for that which we might call normal. We pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see new creation. Lord, that you would bless, that you would sanctify our imaginations. That we, might not, that we might see the world not just as it is, but as it one day will be. In short, Lord, would you help us to be resurrection people. And God, recognizing that for each and every one of us, this will be different. This will apply to our lives differently, that there is a unique work of the Spirit of God that needs to happen in each of our hearts in order to move us, in order to encourage us, in order to better fashion your image in us. There is unique work for each of us. And then, Lord, as we collectively come together to try to seek to love our, our neighbors well, to love the world well, to, to seek justice in the world, we recognize that there are some things on a national scale by which your people can no longer be silent. And yet there are things individually in our neighborhoods, in, in, in the very locales of our, of our homes, that there are opportunities then to express the kingdom of God. And so, God, in all of its all of its uniqueness help us to discern and to know. And then in all of the, the collective things that we are facing together, Lord, help us to speak truth and to seek justice. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time and for this word. I pray that we would openly receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.